The title of this message is The Fruit of Knowing God's Will. The Fruit of Knowing God's Will. And if I had to sum this sermon up into a sentence, I would probably say it like, knowing God's will obviously always produces fruit. Knowing God's will produces fruit. It would be something along the lines of that. And what we need to remember this morning is that Paul is in prison when he's writing this letter. And see, he wrote Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon, and this letter Colossians while he was under house arrest in Rome. And each one of these prison epistles contain a, a thanksgiving and a prayer portion just like this one, but each one in its own unique way. See, Philemon focuses more on this prayer and petition, uh, petition of the effectiveness of uh, Philemon's faith. Ephesians focuses more on the enlightening that they may know the power and the richness of God. Philippians leans more towards unity and joy. But in Colossians, however, Paul prays for them specifically for knowledge, for wisdom, and for understanding. And it's very fitting because, as we know, uh, over the last few weeks, <clears throat> um, there's a false teaching that's going around um, the town of Colossae. And it's very fitting that, they would be, that Paul's praying for them to be filled with the true knowledge of God. What I think is interesting is that Paul doesn't necessarily pray for anything material for them. He doesn't pray for anything physical for them. In fact, he prays for spiritual things. And, and Paul's aim is actually spiritual maturity. It's like his mission statement. It's, his, it's what drives him every single day. As, as Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28 says, his mission is to present everyone mature in Christ. And so here in verses 9 through 14, we're going to discover Paul's prayer for the Colossians that will present them mature in Christ and leave them confident in, of their inheritance. And I want us to notice something <clears throat> about these prayer sections, and it gives us a tremendous insight into a, you know, true biblical prayer and even a model that we could pray for other people. Each one has, um, each, each, each section here has a, a petition part, you know, asking God for something and a praise part, celebrating God for something or praising him in light of who he is. And, and so in biblical prayer, we always ask God for something. So Colin, please pull up Matthew chapter 7. Um, and it's good to ask God for something. It, it, it's, it, it's who God is. He loves to give us what we need. And so it says here, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? You have not, because you ask not. And go ahead and pull up First Chronicles as well, Colin. Because in biblical prayer, we always praise God. See, after all, the one that we're asking for something from, he is worthy, amen? He is worthy to be praised. The supreme power of the universe is worthy of all of our devotion and worthy of all of our praise. And so First Chronicles here in chapter 29, it says, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Amen. And so we've 
seen some ways that are absolutely astonishing to pray. You know, and let me tell you something, guys. I, I met with the Lord this week. Like, as I was preparing this sermon and I was sitting in the office and I had my music going, man, I, I met with the Lord and I pray I don't screw any of this stuff up. But you guys ever have those moments where you, you've met with the Lord in your study time, right? Or when that certain song comes on and you just got to fight back everything, you know, to keep from weeping and crying. Or, or maybe you let it out. Maybe you're the kind of guy or girl who lets it out and you just weep ugly tears and you fall down before the Lord or whatever it is. But I met with the Lord. And the people that are officing upstairs probably heard me shouting because I, I get a little excited, you know. But let's jump into this marvelous prayer from Paul to the Colossians beginning first with his petition. Paul says that <clears throat> since he heard of the world-changing, fruit-producing faith that the Colossians had, he hasn't stopped praying for them. And so what exactly is Paul praying for them? He's praying that they might be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as verse 9 says. And at this present time, the Colossians were, they, you know, they were being filled with a bunch of garbage. I was telling you about the false teaching that was corrupting them. They were being filled with garbage and their minds were being filled with things that would only discourage their growth. They would only hinder Paul's mission statement, which is to present everybody mature in Christ. This stuff that they were hearing was hindering their growth and maturity. And so Paul's prayer is that God would reveal to them his will for their lives, that they would truly know God. And how do we discover God's will for our life? How are we filled with knowledge? See, God has a general will for our lives, and it's pretty easy to see in the pages of Scripture, and he has an individual will for our lives that's not so easy. See, the general will of God for our lives is very explicit in the Scriptures. We can turn to certain pages, and I'll show you here in a second, but the individual will for our lives isn't always specifically spelled out. Right? It's not like I can turn the Bible and uh, turn to a page in the Bible and God's going to give me a specific answer about this prayer that I've been praying about the job that I feel like I'm supposed to take in South Dakota or something, which I hate South Dakota, so we're not going there. But, you know, if, if maybe, maybe Naomi's feeling a call to go to a certain city to go and do something, she may not be able to open the pages of the Bible and see, Naomi, go to this city and do this and that, right? Like the individual will of God isn't very, and if anybody's saying like, hey, I opened the Bible and it said, Ben, come to Omaha, Nebraska and do this, this, and this, like it's not going to specifically say those things, right? If anybody does say that stuff, you might want to check them and run out of there, right? Be, be gone. It's not going to be very specifically clear in Scripture to our circumstance. But speaking about God's general will for our lives, however, we can find this in the pages of Scripture without much work. For instance, it's God's will, number one, for us to be saved. In 1 Timothy in chapter 2 and verse 4, he says that he, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's step one in being filled with the knowledge of God's will. It's also God's will for us to be sanctified. And to be sanctified means to be set apart. It means to be made holy. You know, we have a sanctuary that we're filled in. It's different and set apart from all other areas of the church, right? This is where we do our worship at. We are to be sanctified. It's the process that we go undergo as Christians as we're being conformed into the image of Christ. Again, it's very clear in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3, the Bible says this is God's will for us to be sanctified. It doesn't get any more clearer than that. Hold on, let me get my, I'm trying to learn this technology stuff here. And it's also God's will for us to be spirit-filled. 
Ephesians 5 affirms this, you know, that we need to be yielding to the Spirit and surrendering to His control in our lives every single day. It's also God's will for us to stand. You know, many places allude to this. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, James 1, 27, Jude 1, 3. We are to stand against the enemy. We're to stand up for the truth. We're to stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. It's very clear that this is God's will for us. It says it in the pages of Scripture. And surprisingly enough, this one that we don't really like to hit on, it's also God's will for us to suffer. You're like, what? Dude, that's not the message I want to hear. I don't want to hear that, but it is. It's God's will for us to suffer. And 1 Peter chapter 4 and, and verse 9 instructs us that believers who suffer according to God's will should continue to trust the Lord and live by faith. And this isn't suffering due to our poor you know, decision-making. Like, hey, I'm, I'm suffering and all these things are going on because I made a series of bad decisions and now I'm in a mess. No, it, it's not that, but it's suffering due to the uh, living a godly life in Christ. It's suffering for his name's sake. And Jesus even says, blessed are you who suffer persecution for my name's sake. Suffering for going against the grain of the culture of the world is God's will for us. And so this is the general will of God in our lives, and, and, and none of us really have to wonder what it is uh, that God's will is for our lives here, because it's plainly revealed in the Scripture. And so you might ask the question, what about our individual will? What about that one that you said isn't explicitly spelled out in Scripture? What about, you know, those life choices that we have to make if I need to go to this city, or if I need to take that job, or if I need to do this or do that? How can we discern the will of God then? See, discerning the will of God in our lives must come from what Paul's alluding to here in these pages or passages of Scripture. It must come through prayer. It must come from guidance from the Spirit. It must align with the Scriptures. We can't say that God's will is this for our lives, and we can't find any kind of leeway to that in the Scripture. We have to fact check it, right, with the Bible. And since God has plainly revealed his will uh, in his word, since he has given us everything we need to discern his will, we can't scratch our heads and wonder what God's will is for our lives. See, God's will can be known. It doesn't have to be a mystery. You, you, you might notice I mentioned a bunch of times scripture, scripture, scripture and discerning God's will for our lives because it's true if we want to know God's will we have to know the scripture and if you're scratching your head wondering what God's will is for your life I have to ask you are you studying the scriptures are you a student of the word are you spending time with God you see, God's given us everything that we need in life pertaining to godliness. He's given us his entire word, and he's given us a spirit that lives inside of us that is our teacher. Amen? He's given us the guide to help us understand what he's written. And the whole point in having the Bible is to know God, his redemptive story for his glory from Genesis to Revelation. It all magnifies a holy God saving and redeeming his people for his glory. Amen? And in order to understand what God's will is, in order to understand who he is, we got to understand what these or what this says. And maybe you're like, dude, I, I just don't know where to start, man. You know, like I haven't read my Bible for a while. It's hard to get into the discipline of doing it again. I just, I don't know where to start, Tanner. Where, what, what do you suggest? Start somewhere. Start in Romans. Start in, uh, start in John. Start in Genesis for all that I care. It doesn't matter, but you just got to start somewhere, you got to start to know it. And, and Colin, go ahead and pull up Matthew chapter 5. And when you're reading the Bible, don't just check it off. Don't just say, hey, you know what? 
We talked about this a few weeks ago. I have this Bible reading plan, and I'm going to do this Bible reading plan. And, and, uh, but look, listen, let's just face it. A lot of us aren't as disciplined as the people who made the Bible reading plan, probably. And they're not going to read it every single day of the week and get it done within the year. And the next thing you know, the next day, we're 10 chapters behind, and we feel like an absolute terrible Christian. You know what I'm saying? So just the goal of reading this book is to meet with God. It's to know who he is. And so just meet with God and come to know who he is. Whether it's a chapter, just start somewhere. And as you're going through the Bible, ask yourself these questions. What's the principle and how do I apply it? What's the principle and how do I apply it? And it doesn't take a lot of work sometimes. Sometimes the questions are answered in the text itself, like Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 here and through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What's the principle? We are lights in this world. We have a purpose. What's the application? Let your light shine so others may glorify God. It's real simple. So sometimes it's spelled out very clearly in the scriptures. Uh, And so just ask yourself as you're reading that verse, as you're reading that chapter, as you're reading that book, what's the principle how do I apply it to my life? This is super basic Bible study. You know, other passages of scriptures, it may not be very clear. And, you know, I need help as, as much as the next guy. And so I have some commentaries and stuff on my shelf. And I have a study Bible that as I'm reading that, I'm like struggling. Man, what's that mean? I'm trying to figure out the principle and I'm trying to find out some life application of it. And so we ask God for help and we use those tools that he's given us. But always ask yourself, what's the principle? How do I apply this? And in doing this, we become good students of the word. And in doing this, we're able to discern and better know what God's will is for our life. This is the basics of of Bible study. It's just to ask what it says and how do I apply it? And so why is it so vital? Why is it so vital that we be filled with the knowledge of God? Why is that so important You know, it's not to be useless. It's not so we can be puffed up with knowledge like I know all these things. I know every... I know everything there is to know in the Bible. You can't like... You you can be like, hey, where's this at? And that guy over there in the corner is like, oh, it's right here. You know, uh, it's not to be so puffed up with knowledge and that you're useless because I hate to break it to you. There's many people who have such a deep knowledge of God and yet they're useless to him because they don't do anything with it. They don't apply what they know. We're filled with the knowledge of God in wisdom and in understanding as, uh, 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 of his will, as verse 10 says here, so that we will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Its purpose of knowing God is to walk in a manner worthy of him. So in other words, our talk or our walk is matching our talk. Amen? We're preaching, practicing what we preach. We're serving God out of reverence and out of respect and out of the love that he has for us. Being filled with the knowledge of God's will, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord leads to a few things. And Paul says that it results in, follow with me in the text there, he says that it results in verse 10, pleasing God. 
fully pleasing to him. I think of Romans chapter 12 when I see this section of scripture and I think about how Paul says to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God for this is your spiritual worship. I think about that, that we live a life of worship before God, a constant worship. And the way that we have true worship is to offer a sacrifice before him, which is our lives, laying it down for his sake, according to his will. That's the pleasing walk or that's how we please God with our walk. Paul also says that um, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord as we're filled with God's knowledge of God's will, it, he says that it bears fruit. <clears throat> I think about John 15, when it alludes to that God is glorified and that we bear much fruit and prove, prove to be disciples of Christ. What, what's the number one mark of somebody that's a false convert? Somebody who's saying that they're a believer in Jesus Christ, but they're not. The number one mark is what? No fruit, right? Like if I say, hey, that's an apple tree and there ain't no apples on there and it ain't been no apples on there for five years. What good is that tree? It may not even be an apple tree and it's worthless to the kingdom. The number one mark of a false convert is no fruit. And so we prove to be disciples of Christ by producing fruit. And James even says that faith produces good works, right? And and. And, and, and Paul alludes to in Ephesians that we are Christ's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, what, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's ordained good works for us to walk in and do through our faith as we bear fruit for him. He says that uh, being filled with God's will, the knowledge of his will, and um, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord brings about increased knowledge. One of my favorite preachers, his name is Vodi Bauckham. He gave this illust- or, um, a comment maybe on, on something one time. He said, man, we see somebody who knows the word, right? They know that Bible and, and, and man, they're just so good at it and they're skilled. They know some scripture and it's, it's the habit of the congregation or the people around them or the world around them to say, hey, you need to be a preacher, like, no, that's not true. That's not, like, we all need to know this word. It's not just my job to know this word. Not everybody who knows the word of God is supposed to be a preacher, but we have a, a habit of saying, oh, if you know God's word, go and be a preacher then. It's not necessarily true. We're all supposed to know God's word. We're all supposed to go deep. We're all supposed to know him deeper. And kind of a, an illustration that I think about with this is, y'all ever gone like a few days without talking to your spouse? right? You ever like gone a couple days, maybe you're just not communicating clearly. I, I'm, this happens to me all the time, guys, so I'm learning, right? Where maybe I'm, my problem is I'm not listening like I should be, right? Like I'm hearing you, but I'm not listening. I'm not really intimately listening to my wife, or maybe I'm not talking to her as much as she would like me to talk to her. Anybody else ever done that, or am I the only one? Am I just continuing to tell on myself this morning? right? Like we, we do these things. And, and what's that do to your relationship when you don't talk or listen to one another? Strains it, right? Like y'all be walking around the house mad at each other for breathing the same air. You know what I'm saying? Like it just gets really hot and heavy. It gets pretty nasty. It's much like it is sort of with our relationship with God. If we're not taking time to just shut up and listen to what the Lord says through prayer, if we're not taking the time to just shut up and listen to what the Lord says through his word, if we're not taking time to listen or to talk to God in prayer and present our, our petitions and our praise before him, man, our relationship is strained. 
It's just there's, there's something in the way. It's not as fluid and as awesome as it needs to be, just like it is in our relationships with one another. You see, we increase in the knowledge of God through study of his word, and we increase in the knowledge of God through prayer, and ultimately we increase in the knowledge of God through experience. Like none of us has ever done something, I don't know, unless you're like just really skilled, but like none of us have ever done something and done it the first time like perfect, right? Like we have to, we have to mess up. Like my, my whole Christian life has just been a series of messing up over and over again until finally I've learned not to do that no more, you know? Like it's just been over and over again of learning by experience. Now I know not to make that certain, you know, decision in that situation. And I'm continuing to learn that every single day. And this needs to be an utmost priority of going deeper with God. And the last thing that Paul says that this gives us, this um, uh, being filled with the knowledge of God's will and walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, this, this brings about strength for endurance. See, the Christian life ain't no cakewalk, is it? It's, it's a hard thing to be a Christian in the world around us today, especially with culture breathing down our necks with this and that. I won't even go into that right now, but it's not a cakewalk. So we need his strength. We need his patience. We need his joy to be able to make it. We need the power of God or we can't do it. In fact, I read something this week in a commentary and it said this, if it could be done in our own power, we would basically be achieving less than God's will. If it could be done in our own power, we would be basically achieving less than God's will. You say, explain that to me a little bit. It's really easy for me to go through the motions. You know, every, you know, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I sit down to put together a sermon, and, and next thing you know, I've got this going on, that going on, and this going on, and I'm just trying to punch the clock and get this done, and before you know it, I've put a whole sermon together where I haven't prayed and asked God to help me. Like, whoa, you're like, dude, that... You're not the pastor I want to follow. I'm just admitting something to you that that can happen, okay? And it's happened before. Many of us go through our daily lives without the power of God in our lives or asking him to help us do this or that. Basically, if it can't be, if, like we need God's power to make it each and every single day. Each breath is grace and mercy. We need his power. We got to be in a constant state of reliance on God's power. And as we're filled with God's will, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, we're pleasing God, bearing fruit, increasing in knowledge, being strengthened with power. This is exactly where God wants us to be. I mean, we're smack dab in the middle of God's will for our lives. And this is where we're strongest. And this is the place where we can be confident that we're in God's will. We're walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. We're pleasing him. We're producing fruit. We're increasing in knowledge. And so take the time, guys, to be disciplined students of the word. Take the time to just shut up and listen and hear what God has to say. Take the time to just sit down for a moment and be still. Put the phone away. Five minutes. Sit there and be quiet. Don't say anything. Let God speak. Hear what he has to say. Figure out what he's already said in his word. Come to know God in a deeper, stronger way. It's then that doing God's will will become a natural thing. It's going to become like muscle memory. See, I made a lot of wrong decisions in my life. And the, wrong, the first wrong decision that I made, well, not the first. I made a lot of wrong decisions in my life. One of the biggest ones that I remember is not going into the Navy, right? Like I had this big dream in my life that I wanted to be a SEAL, right? Like I always wanted to be this guy. And uh, I, instead of the Navy, well, I signed some papers and I was going to go, but then I caught a bunch of felonies. And so I 
didn't make it to the Navy because they won't let you in the Navy on probation, you know? So that was my plan. Like, man, I wanted to be a team guy, you know? And so I still like relive stuff by listening to SEAL team guys, you know, on podcasts and stuff because I really like them because to me, I'm like, man, you're a man. I want to, like, I want discipline like that, you know? Like, get up at 4.30 in the morning and, and do the Murph, you know what I'm saying? Like, gosh, man, it fires me up. And uh, anyways, I've been listening to them. And so when they go to training, one of the guys said, you know, you would think that they would teach you to like, you know, fight and this jiu-jitsu and the shooting and all these like ops and everything else, like right when you get in there, you think that's what they're teaching you, right? And he's like, no, 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 they break you down. They get you tired, right? They get you cold. They get you hungry. They, they deprive you of sleep. And then they start to teach you this stuff. And so that way, when, when the enemy's coming against them, and when they're out there in the field, when they finally graduated buds and they're deployed and they're out there doing team stuff and the enemy's just firing at them and they got them pinned down and they're flanked on every side and the enemy thinks, man, we got them. No, no, no. See, that's where they messed up because that's where they're strongest because they trained at that moment of weakness. They trained at that moment where they were tired and they were cold and they were hungry and they were under pressure because then it becomes muscle memory it's muscle memory they know what to do they revert back to their training the same thing with police officers they get put into a sticky situation right they revert i've heard this from ben over and over and over again we go back to our training cops who get in trouble are cops who don't revert back to their training and they panic so they just revert back to what they know. Remember your training. You trained and you trained and you trained for this. And much as it is like us as Christians, we gotta be training. We gotta be disciplined, studious. And we gotta take time to pray. We gotta take time to get to know him, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So that way when the enemy comes and he's got his foot so deep into our neck and he's pushing us against us and we can't hardly even stand when the world's persecuting you for what you believe and when you're tired and you just can't go another minute and when your flesh is weak and you want that lust or you want that drug or you wanna put your fist through the wall or when you just wanna give up and die, we don't have to give in. We don't have to give up. We don't have to act out because it's muscle memory, right? We know what God's will is for our life. And we know what God wants for us. And we know how we need to handle the situation. And we know how to respond when all hell breaks loose. We revert to our training. It's muscle memory. It's a tremendous petition for spiritual maturity that Paul lays out here. A tremendous petition. It's a prayer that encompasses the will of God and challenges the Colossians to resist false teaching and be filled with the true knowledge of God. There's no other place that a petition prayer like that could move to than a time of praise to God, amen? And Paul begins his prayer of praise with verse 12. Fix your eyes on the scriptures with me. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Paul says the Colossians have been qualified by God to share in the inheritance of the saints and the light. Other words, qualified means to be made sufficient. God has made us sufficient to qualify or made us sufficient to, to share in the inheritance of the saints and the lights. He has fulfilled all the necessary conditions. He's fulfilled all the necessary requirements. He has made us adequate for our inheritance. What is the inheritance that Paul is talking about? He's talking about light. Light. The place where God is. The absence of sin. And listen, y'all, like, upon no merit of our own, upon no good effort of our own, do we earn our inheritance. We did nothing to contribute to the inheritance that we have in the light through faith in Christ. Christ. 
If you've been born again, if you've been saved by God's grace through faith in His Son, then it is He who has enabled you to obtain such an amazing inheritance. We couldn't do it on our own. See, and our inheritance as, as saints is with Christ. We're with Him, where He is seated in heaven at the right hand of God. And, and our heavenly hope is that there's no more pain and no more suffering. And somebody else tell me what there's going to be no more of in heaven. Come on. Huh? No more getting old. No crying. No more tears. Heard something else. Depression. Come on. Huh? Sin? No more sin. No more addiction. No more crime. Just great, holy praise before Jesus at his throne, saying, holy, 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 worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Amen? It's going to be great. And that's our inheritance, where things are made new. It's just like it was in the garden before Adam and Eve sinned. Brought full circle. Not only do we have an inheritance, but I want you to see something. God has an inheritance as well. Pull up Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18 says this, and this is what God's praying, or this is what Paul is praying for the, uh, the church in Ephesus. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Listen, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? We are the inheritance of God, the God who made us. We are his. He is inheriting us as saints, made and conformed into the image of his son, perfect and without blemish because of what Jesus has done. We are his glorious inheritance. Isn't that amazing? So the next time that you're struggling with your worth, the next time you're struggling with, with depression or, or, man, you just don't feel like you have any value anymore, remember, if you're a blood believer in Jesus Christ, then you are the inheritance of God. Amen? You have value, baby. Like, that's amazing. I know that we said that God qualified us for this inheritance, and, and he has. He's enabled us, and I know that he's, he said that he has uh, made us sufficient. But how does he qualify us? How does God enable us? How does he make us sufficient? Look there at verses 13 and 14 with me. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Notice the words that Paul uses there. He says, uh, light and darkness. He says, delivered and transferred, domain of darkness and the kingdom of his beloved son. He's doing this great wordplay here of comparison and contrasting. And, but most importantly, Paul is using this language <clears throat> to magnify the incredible distance between the two positions, to magnify the domain of darkness and the kingdom of Jesus. It is a feat that cannot be crossed on our own. He's doing this to, to magnify the, the, the distance between these two positions and how um, getting there is insurmountable. See, it's impossible to cross from one side the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son without the power of God first delivering us and transferring us to the other side. We can't get there on our own. We need God to do that in his power. <clears throat> and this reminds me of a, of a story. I'm going to say his name because he's not in here today. But we went backpacking in, in South Dakota, me and Ben and Cody. And Cody made a series of bad decisions, and he brought some really bad water shoes instead of hiking boots, you know what I'm saying? And we backpacked like, what, 20-something miles 
25 miles, a long ways, man, and probably about like mile 20. Well, long time before 20. You know, we just heard Cody complain most of the time, but about mile 20, he's like, I can't make it another bit. You know, he's like, I will call in an army helicopter right now and get rescued. And we're like, we're not going down like that, bud. You know, like, (laughs) that's not happening. And so we left Cody at a farm along the way, and we were in the Badlands of South Dakota. It's like 100 degrees outside. We were dying. His legs are cramped up. He's, he's got blisters on his feet. He can't make it. It sucks, you know. It's impossible for Cody to make it the last four or five miles to the truck. See, Cody was helpless, and he was stuck where he was unless somebody came and rescued him, which we did. We made it to the truck. We ran a few miles. We got hit by sideways, you know, Forrest Gump, sideways rain, rain that came up from the ground, rain from all the different directions. Man, we were getting nailed, bro. Story, I thought for a minute I was going to die. And I'm like praying to the Lord, like, Lord, please don't let there be a gate at the end of this road because I got to rescue my brother. You know what I'm saying? But I thought it was over for us. But Cody was helpless. And he was stuck where he was unless somebody came and rescued him. And so we, too, must understand the absolute darkness that we were enslaved to. The possibility of getting ourselves out of the mess that we made was zero to none. See, the possibility of earning a seat at the table with Jesus was impossible on our own. We had no chance of escaping the prince of the world, Satan himself. We were not strong enough to defeat this darkness. We were cold, alone, chained, imprisoned, helpless, legs cramped up, blisters on our feet, stuck out in the middle of the desert. But God, God demonstrates his own love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. And in verse 14, it says this. He rescued us. In Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In other words, Christ paid our ransom. Hey, it was that truck that came and picked Cody up when he was helpless and he couldn't make it. He paid our ransom. He came and he rescued us. We were held in the clutches of sin and death because of our sin. We were separated uh, from God under his holy wrath. And the only way that we could be set free is if somebody paid our ransom. And let me tell you something. Upon a hill named Calvary in the land of Israel 2,000 years ago, the humble son of God willingly laid his life down. Nails pierced hands that knew no sin. And and nails pierced feet that never ran to commit evil. The rugged beam that he created dug into the wounds inflicted by men that he gave life to. An innocent man hung in the air between two thieves, fighting for breath, blood in his eyes, beaten beyond recognition. He said, it is finished. Upon a hill called Calvary, 2,000 years ago, the Son of God paid the price for our sins. He took the punishment that was due for us. He rescued us. That is redemption, guys. Man, think about what he's done for us. By the power of the cross, He set us free and transferred us into his kingdom. We are forgiven. We're set free. We've gone from children of the devil to king's kids. Amen. We've we've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. We've gone from rags to riches. We went from not having a seat at the table to having a seat at the table waiting for us. And in fact, more than that, we got a mansion with a room in it. Amen. And from we went from ashes to beauty. And we're now under the kingship and the authority of Christ. Christ Almighty, who's paid it all for us. This is praiseworthy. 
This is worthy of our utmost praise. And now we can sing that song. You know that song, we're free, free, forever we're free. Come join in the song of all the redeemed. We can sing it if you've truly been bought by the blood of Christ. It doesn't get any better than that. Our position is fixed. We're bought by the blood, sealed by the Spirit, delivered by the Father. And so what? So what now? See, the rescuing work of the Father through the redeeming work of the Son qualifies us not only to share in the inheritance of the saints and light, but also to have freedom to enjoy and experience God's will for our lives. Since we've been set free from the bondage of sin and death, we now have the freedom to serve our Master, our Redeemer, our Savior, the Creator, the Sustainer, the One who is all, Jesus Christ. Amen. We've been redeemed for a purpose. Remember, as that verse said, we're all salt of the earth and we're all lights of the world. We have a purpose, so let your light so shine. We're called to be cities upon the hill, a beacon of light and hope for everybody to see. May we shine bright in the dark world that encompasses us. You see, we don't just come to know this knowledge of God's will not to do anything with it. We're tuned into God's will for our lives. When we have come to know the truth of just how far God went to save us, we will experience a burden, a burden, a burden for the people who are still enslaved to darkness. You guys remember that moment when you first got saved? When you first got saved and you thought, man, I gotta tell everybody about this. Something's happened to me, man, and I gotta tell you what's happened. You get this fire, man, that burns bright. And you know the way you keep that fire burning is by continuing to tell people about Jesus. Man, you had a burden on your heart. I gotta go tell my mom. I gotta go tell my brother. I gotta go tell my best friend. I've got to tell them because you need hope and you need rescuing. We have a burden for the people enslaved to that darkness. We have a burden to live lives pleasing to God. We'll have a burden to share about our redemption and the forgiveness of sins that we have in Jesus. See, if we all get tuned into God's will for our lives, if we all take time to be students of the word and come to know him in a deeper way, our hearts will be transformed. From a calloused heart of stone to a heart that he's put inside of us, a heart of flesh that beats according to the rhythm of his, will, of his will, our hearts will be changed. Our walk will be a manner worthy of the Lord. We'll have joy springing up from a fountain of life. Joy. If we all get tuned into God's will for our lives, our homes will flourish. And I'm telling you, our marriage will display a picture of Christ's love for the church. Our children will grow in the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. If we all get tuned into God's will for our lives, our workplaces will see conversions as we work unto the Lord. Our, our communities will be impacted with the gospel. The world will be turned upside down as a result of what God's doing in our lives and as a result of us being tuned into His will. We'll see darkness eradicated and people conformed into the image of Christ. And so step number one, step number one, is you first must be delivered. You've got to be delivered from that kingdom of darkness. So I ask the question, have you been rescued from the kingdom of darkness? Do you share in the inheritance of the light? Do you stand in the kingdom of the sun? Or are you outside the gate still? Y'all can come up and as we get ready to close with this 
Final song. Where do you stand? Are you still enslaved to darkness? Or do you stand in the kingdom of God, of His Son? Have you been delivered? Have you been bought, redeemed? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? My prayer is that this beautiful prayer from Paul to the Colossians would help us to see our identity and responsibility in Christ. My prayer is that this beautiful prayer from Paul to the Colossians would help us leave the idea of thinking that God's will is a mystery and we can't know it. Help us leave that behind us. My prayer is that we will know and apply the crucial steps in applying God's will from our lives and that our lights will shine brighter because of it. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you have allowed us to know your will. That, God, you have made it clear what it is that you want from us. And, Father, as a result of thinking about what you, or Jesus, as a result of thinking about what you've done for us, and, Father, as a result of thinking about what you gave for us, your son, an innocent man, dying on the cross between two thieves in our place, we pray, Father, that we would live that gospel out, that, that, would be, that we would live it out as lights, as a city on a hill burning bright, that others may see our good works and glorify the Lord. So, Father, we ask for your will to be done here in this place this morning, and I pray that none of us would leave here the same, that if there is somebody here in this room this morning that doesn't know Jesus, I pray, Father, that they would have the humility to come and talk to one of us and say, hey, man, I want to know more about that. So, Father, we love you. We thank you so much. We trust that your word has gone out, and we pray for your spirit to continue to move through the week. In Jesus' name, amen.